Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. Also, be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. We can just walk away and feel like we've got a clean slate and blame it on the person and say, oh, they didn't get me or they weren't ready or they're not conscious enough or whatever bullshit story we're telling ourselves, which is truthfully just another excuse for us to stay safe and stay self-contained and self-preserved. Hey friends, it's Ash here and I have the treat for you of all time today and it's Alexi Panos. She is the founder of Soul School, a monthly membership community, an incredible life coach and author and by the way, one of my favorite people, a friend of mine who (laughs) is always totally woke and giving me the best advice and I thought we could talk today about how to experience true love because... Alexi has a relationship with Preston Smiles and the two of them, if you haven't seen them on Instagram, will really inspire you and have a relationship that I think a lot of people don't and I want to learn from it. So Alexi, hi. Thank you. Hi. Hi. (laughs) I'm so happy to be here and just like chatting about this particular topic because I feel like there's a lot of misconception about what quote unquote true love is. And I think it's time that we all just start getting radically honest about love and having real conversations about what it takes to maintain and really generate and create beautiful, loving relationships. So I can't wait. Yes. And you know, it's so funny. I always put especially friends of mine, I put you guys on the spot because I know how brilliant you are. And so everybody listening, it's like, I just had her come up with five steps to experience (laughs) true love in like two minutes. And so this is going to be, (laughs) we're, we're getting down right now. And so I'm curious though, before we even dive in, if you could share with everybody about you and Preston, how you guys found each other and what your relationship has done for both of you, because I find it to be really inspiring watching you guys together. Awesome. Yeah. It's so crazy. Like really we got brought together by so many random things that had to happen and not happen. I was actually exploring dating somebody else and took a trip to London with this person who was a friend of mine for years and, and ended up meeting one of his guy friends on that trip who happened to be Preston's college roommate. And this guy's like, you are the female version of this guy I went to school with in Louisiana. He lives in LA. You live in LA. You guys got to do work together because you're up to similar things. And sure enough, puts us in a Facebook message. I never respond because I'm terrible at responding on Facebook. And Preston thought I lived in London. He's like, oh, this, you know, Vince wrote me about this chick in London. So she lives there. But sure enough, two weeks later, we end up at this spoken word poetry event in Venice, sitting next to each other. (laughs) 
because like that's what happens and he's like Alexi from London I was like actually I live here and sparks flew and he knew right then and there that like this is my person and it took me honestly like a good 30 days to really let my guard down enough to feel into that this was like a forever thing because I was afraid I was like I don't know if I want forever right now like I just moved to LA I kind of want to be single like hold on Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know how I feel about this and fun fact those of you listening um I mean Alexi you have a very interesting past of jobbing music videos (laughs) and the entertainment industry so, yeah, there's there's like nine lives that have been lived by me, yeah. and they're all very entertaining. You know how to fucking rage, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. I can go there. I can definitely go there if you want to go there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so literally, like Preston and I, after that that 30 day of like me really feeling into it, it was so obvious that I was like, you know what, I'm in, and. Sure enough, from that point on, we've just been like full speed ahead. We became business partners within four months. We moved in together in two months. We got engaged in like within a year and then married within two and a baby the following year. So we're just like on the fast track to adulthood (laughs) and uh, (laughs) doing all the things. Mm -hmm. And it has truly been the most incredible, amazing, painful hardcore ride I've ever been on because I've never actually allowed myself to be this committed to love and to partnership Mm. uh, before Preston. And I I think he would say the same thing. I think we're both in this for the long term. And what that requires is so much more than what's painted for us in the Disney version of life. I love that. And I also have found it really inspiring to realize how much mentorship you both get. And I'm so curious to kind of paint a picture for everybody listening, because I know we do get that Disney picture of love and there's a lot of expectations versus reality. And so I'm curious, like, how do you guys maintain your relationship and what mentorship has totally changed your world? Oh man, there's been so many, like between amazing friends that we have that are just visions of couplehood that are older. You know, we have friends that are in their 60s and 70s, one friend in particular, this couple that's been together since they were, you know, 20 years old, and they're in their late 60s, and they're so full of life. They go to Burning Man every year, and they're just, (laughs) like, they are doing it. Like, we look at them, their names are Cheryl and Sebastian, and we just, like, we're in awe of them. You know, they're, they're truly just so present to life and life's magic and the work that's required. And they've just had some really honest and real conversations with us about what it takes. And and we love that we have people like that to go to when things aren't so sparkly Mm. and they remind us why we're here and why we chose each other. So people like that, we've got so many couples like that. And then honestly, we've done so much work on ourselves and I can't not mention mentorship with a partnership without mentioning like the work we've done on ourselves and the coaches that we've hired and the like literally tens of thousands of dollars in courses because truthfully if you're not doing the work on yourself you're just going to project all your shit on your partner yeah which you know we were both proficient at that before we got in a relationship (laughs) with each other (laughs) we were really good at projecting our stuff because we also knew the lingo and we could sound really smart and like we knew what we were talking about when we were blaming the other person essentially so that's the thing you got to look out for people in coaching and therapy and all of that like Sometimes it's hardest for us to see where our own work lies. Spiritual bypassing, spiritual manipulation. Yes, like, how do totally. you kind of paint a picture spiritual, of that? 
that is huge manipulation because you know you know the language you know how to how to position it you know the other person's wounds and you can use that as manipulation and really Preston and I both recognized that we were very cunning in those ways and it required both of us getting coaches that could call us on our bullshit and call us forward so inspiring and i'm really curious you know when it when it comes down to experiencing true love what are some of the, you know, you said that number one was letting go of the idea of perfect. So yes. what do you think people are thinking when they're, cause I'm, you know, me, Lexi, I've been like single and dating all the men yeah. and I Ready was coming, I'm, I am <laughs> single and having my Pringle <laughs> and you're having, you know, once you pop, you can't stop. So I'm I know. Just say that. And I just literally am consistently in that place of believing that I it's not about finding the right person it's about saying no to quote unquote the wrong person so that my space is open but I'm, I'm super curious like where do you think people pull the trigger too early and let go of someone or hold on too late like what are some of the things that you think people are doing that get them kind of stuck yeah that's such a great question and I think there's no real hard black and white answer on that. But I will say most people that come to myself or Preston or both of us for relationship coaching and and guidance around that in particular, they are looking from a place of desperation. They're looking because they're lonely. They're looking because they feel like their life's not working and they feel like this is going to be the missing piece. So we find most people are getting into partnership and getting into relationship, making whatever guy or girl is right in front of them, the person And then getting to the point later down the road where they're like, oh, actually, maybe not. But then they're fighting for that because they'd rather have that than loneliness or rather have that than being their own stuff. So I think recognizing that you can never attract that which is truly aligned for you if you're coming from a space of desperation is really potent and powerful. And it's, it's one of those hard truths that sometimes it's hard to recognize within ourselves. You know, it's like, God, can I admit that I'm actually lonely and and doing this from a space of, I don't like my own company. Like that's, that's a hard thing to admit to yourself. And until we do, and truthfully that, that was a hard truth I had to come to when I left New York and moved to LA. Cause I went from serial long-term relationship to long-term relationship without ever really having a break in between. So I committed a year of my life to just dating myself and being with myself and, and seeing what that felt like. And it was really hard for me to admit that I didn't actually like being by myself. And so that that's number one in terms of why people rush into it. And then people stay too long because of that same thing. They stay because, you know, sometimes the devil, you know, is, is harder than the devil you don't know. And, and a lot of people love certainty. We're obsessed with it. We're addicted to it. And, even if they're certain that this is painful and this isn't working and we've tried all the things, they'd rather have that certainty than the uncertainty of maybe I'm never going to find somebody. Mm. So really like getting clear about why you're staying in it and what your intention is for being in relationship at this current time, whether you're single or considering whether or not to stay is such a big deal. Mm-hmm. And One of the things I say to anybody who's considering a breakup or considering moving on is give yourself 90 days of a thousand percent in. 
like, and there's tools for this, but, you know, going back to where you were in the beginning, where you were just acknowledging all the beauty in this person, where you guys were having fun together, where you were, you know, communicating and there was less expectation and less attachment and less personalization and just like really more curiosity and more joy and more leaning in. And if you can give yourself three months and not feel a shift within those three months of honestly saying, I'm all in, then it's probably time to leave. Mm, and if after that, those three months, you're like, wow, I actually really like this person again, then it's probably a good idea to stay and continue the work. Mm, beautiful. And I also have found that a lot of people think that they're ready and they're not. Or yeah. I've had many men in my life that will look me in the eye and be like, I want to do this with you. And yeah. then the things that are required, you know, to align with the idea of doing it, meaning like, you know, phone calls or seeing, yeah. making time to see each other when those things don't happen, I'm always kind of baffled. So I'm curious, like what is up with, you know, what are your thoughts on so many people who say they're in, but they're not? What's that about? Yeah, I think it's that it's the disillusionment. It's this idea that, you know, I'm ready for a partnership and, and somebody that I know personally comes to mind. It's, it's a guy, he's 45. He's been saying this for the last eight years. Like, I'm so ready for my one. And yet every person he meets, no matter how incredible they are, he finds something wrong with them mm. or he finds a way to sabotage or he finds a way to shut down and close off or leave the country for two months and oh she couldn't handle me being away and what I keep showing him and providing him as a friend is that listen this is your own fear this is your own stuff coming up and I get that consciously you want to be in partnership but subconsciously that's actually the thing that terrifies you most mm -hmm. so a lot of people that say they're ready and then do the exact opposite of what someone who's ready would do is is truthfully like that's the universe testing and i you know call it woo woo or call it whatever you know if you want to call it god you want to call it you know energy or you just want to call it a theory i don't care what you call it mm -hmm. but i have known this to be true in my life whenever i say i want something and i desire something that desire gets tested. Mm. And it's like, it's literally like somebody standing in front of me going, let's see how bad you want it. Let's see. <laughs> I'm going to throw this curveball, then this curveball, then this curveball. And let's see if you actually fight for this or you run mm. because it's easy to run. It's easy to run because we don't have to face off with ourselves. We don't have to go into our shadow. We don't have to go into our fears, our insecurities, our bullshit, our baggage. We can just walk away and feel like we've got a clean slate and blame it on the person and say, oh, they didn't get me or they weren't ready or they're not conscious enough or whatever bullshit story we're telling ourselves, which is truthfully just another excuse for us to stay safe and stay self-contained and self-preserved. That is so good. And it's so sneaky. It's like, we don't so know we're doing it. I know. <laughs> so what are some indicators if somebody steps away that maybe they stepped away out of fear versus intentionality other than, you know, the three months? Like, I think there's a lot of situations where people are dating or people are ending a relationship and they're like, was I in the right mind, you know, mindset to, to make that decision? Or was that fear? Or was it just the wrong match? Or was it my intuition? Like, how do people kind of calibrate and get home with themselves? Yeah, I think I think that's exactly what it is. It's coming into the self and, and giving yourself enough space to actually hear and listen. Because I don't know about you, but when I really want to avoid my shit, I get really busy. And I like totally focus on work. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I 
busy up my schedule and hang out with all my friends and try and forget all the things that are actually showing up. But what I've been in practice of, because it's it's an edge for me, is really creating space to be in reflection on it, like going out in nature and sitting in the sun without my phone, without a book, without a journal, and just like listening. And truthfully, within like five or 10 minutes, I always get my answer. Wow. And, and it's usually not a pretty one. It's usually like the answer I want to hear the least, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's usually has to do with me. It usually has to do with how I'm still hiding out or I'm still avoiding facing off with this one thing that I think I've, or I thought I've dealt with. Um, and it's usually the hardest answer and the most tedious answer in terms of what it's going to require of me. Uh, because it always comes back to the self. It's usually never about the other person. Like mm. I'll say that 99.99999% of the time, it's usually not about them. It, it usually has to do with what you are willing to do or not willing to do, where you're willing to go or not willing to go. And that is why I said in the beginning, my relationship with Preston has been the most amazing, but also the most painful because I've, I've really had to face off with the parts of myself that I just thought I could sweep under the rug and nobody would figure out. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm thinking about a few parts of myself that I'm like, oh, God, can't imagine yeah. airing those out. <laughs> totally. And, and when you're in partnership, especially if that person's done any level of work within themselves, they're going to hold you accountable to that. And, mm. and that can be a scary thing. It's like, shit, I didn't want anybody to see that. And not only are you seeing it, but you're calling me on it. And I don't like that because you're supposed to love me. Yeah, <laughs> you're supposed to think I'm everything. <laughs> you're supposed to think I'm perfect, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so when we get into letting go of this idea of perfect, I'm so curious, like, what, where on the spectrum a real relationship stands? Like, what do you think is real versus what do you think is the fantasy of perfect? And then what are some incompatibilities? You know what I mean? Because there's like the reality that, yeah, we need to let go of the idea that things are perfect and that (laughs) things are not perfect. And then there's also somewhere along the line where it's like, hey, this is not compatible. This is not a match. Yeah. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on this entire concept because, I mean, God knows this is Ashley's free coaching hour with Alexi. (laughs) (laughs) I love it, girl. Take advantage. Ask all the questions. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So I think, you know, the idea of perfect that most people have, especially most single people when I talk to them, is this idea that when you find the right person, it's easy. There's not a lot of work to be done. You just get each other. There's like flow and grace and it's just like, it just works, right? And that's kind of this idea of perfect that really screws a lot of people up because then the moment disagreement happens, the moment life happens, then you go into self beat up, then you go into questioning, then you go into judgment and all of it can fall apart very quickly. Mm. Now, what I think is a more realistic view of relationship, any relationship, pulling it even further back from the romantic version of relationship and saying partner, coworker, mother, father, brother, sister, uh, friend, any type of relationship, there is this desire to connect and and to, to feel included and to be interdependent on one another. It's what we do biologically as a species. However, in that desire to connect, we're going to hit roadblocks. We're going to bump up against each other's unconscious agreements and rules. We're going to bump up against each other's version of right and wrong and their conditioning and 
people are going to get on our nerves. You know, even if you're in love with them, like their socks on the floor are going to get annoying after a while. And (laughs) true story. (laughs) It's, it's really about accepting the journey of connection and the journey of connection is not this idyllic state where you just kind of fill in each other's gaps and sentences and your needs and values are precisely matched because your soulmates or twin flames or whatever the trendy word is at the time. But rather it's we're connecting and we're, we're interweaving our lives together and we're coming together in a space of going, oh, whoa, interesting. I never noticed this about myself and I never noticed it until it became a thing for you. And being curious and accepting and embracing of other people's quirks and idiosyncrasies and unconscious patterning and rules mm. and also being willing to play with your own and look at your own and that is going to cause argument it is going to cause uh, power struggles it is going to cause um, breakdown and it's all how you relate to that it's basically like how you relate to relating if you relate to relating from the sense of like yep cool I'm expecting that you know any flight there's going to be a little bumpiness and a little turbulence and that's okay. If you relate to it in that way, you're setting yourself up for success. However, if you relate to it from this idea of perfection, you're setting yourself up for failure because the minute anything is slightly off, you're going to go into defensiveness. You're going to go into how do I make this perfect? How do I people please? And ultimately, that's two people who are pushing aside their own needs to try and fulfill this romantic idea of love. Mm. So so I think it's it's really like, seeing how you relate to love and how you relate to connection and relating in general. And then recognizing that if you've done the work in relating, and yes, there are so many tools for it. Like there's so much work around relationships and there's so much work around how do you relate to somebody and speak their language and speak to their listening. How do you even listen? Most people don't even know how to listen, yeah. uh, you know, but get communicate, you know, people always say, Oh, relationships are all about communication, but truthfully it's all about listening and we can't communicate until we listen first. So it's there's all these little like tools and tricks and hacks. Um, but what's interesting is one of the mentors that Preston and I have trained and studied with, uh, which is the Gottman Institute. They're incredible. They've done you know 35 plus years of research on love, and they literally hook couples up to like you know all these like heart monitors, and they're like measuring the acid in their urine and all sorts of stuff, and they're testing. <sighs> how we physically respond to love and how we physically respond to, to arguments and all these things. And they actually, out of all their testing in almost 40 years, four decades, the couples that have remained together the longest argue quite a bit. Huh. And what, yeah, it's so fascinating, which for me was like, a, what, are you serious? Because you would think that you would come to terms with like, oh, this is just this person and it's okay and I'm just gonna like turn the other cheek. But truthfully, because they get that in relationship, you're fighting for connectedness, but you're also fighting for independence. And couples that remain attracted to one another remain attracted because there's still a strong sense of independence. There's still a strong sense of the individual. And in relationships that tend to dissipate, the individuals have totally enmeshed and totally lost who they were and basically gotten rid of their own lives in order to please and appease the other person and that is just not sexy after a while yeah it's so interesting the past few guys that I have dated in some way they had talked about exes and how their exes didn't have a community or friends around them and that that was a high stress for them 
And yeah. I'm also curious with incompatibilities when we're looking at the idea of perfect. It's like, mm-hmm. where, first of all, where is it too much fighting early on? Where is it that it's too difficult early on? You know, because I, I get the idea that maybe it's not going to be total roses. Um, but at what point do you look at a relationship and say, you guys just are not a match. You're not getting along. Yeah, I think I think it's really because, again, this is gray, right? So mm-hmm. there's no black and white answer because everybody's different. Every relationship is like a fingerprint. Yep. Now, I like to look at it with my clients and look at it in the sense of going, okay, have you seen how this person shows up to arguments? Do they show up committed? Do they show up willing do they show up fighting for the relationship versus fighting for themselves and their, you know, uh, self-preservation? If you see that, there's still potential. There's still a total possibility of, you know, compatible love. Because the truth is, is nobody is actually really compatible for each other. It is a series of uh, making concessions and coming to agreements about disagreements and and working your way in somebody's patterning. Mm. And, you know, Preston and I, from the outset, if, if you met us in the beginning, most people would say we were completely incompatible. Like, we were two totally different people in so many ways. We look at life with a completely different worldview. Um, we are very different in how we approach People in social situations were very different in how we approach work, like just fundamentally very different, grew up with very different parents, very different uh, ways of acknowledging and all the things, just very Mm -hmm. different. However, there was this pull towards each other. And honestly, the, the incompatibilities were a part of my reservation of taking 30 days of really kind of like having my hand out and keeping him at a distance because he didn't make sense to me. Mm. I was like, this is not my type of person. I'm used to dating this type of person. And in the past, those relationships tended to work out pretty well until they didn't, right, Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. But because of his willingness and his commitment to extraordinary love, and, and I'll just say it's his commitment to living an extraordinary life, because of that commitment, and I, I saw it so clearly, it, it was there before he met me, and I had that commitment for myself, I knew that we could make it work. We wow. could find ways to come together and appreciate the differences and celebrate the differences. And and truthfully, our differences of what somebody could have looked at and been like, holy shit, that's like a disaster waiting to happen, have expanded us both individually so much because usually we wouldn't have kept somebody like each other around because we're just so different Mm -hmm. in so many ways that it just Mm -hmm. would have been like a total identity shift and a total identity shock for us to keep somebody like the other person around. But we're like, Hey, let's get married instead and see what that's (laughs) it. (laughs) Fuck it. Let's commit for life. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just like go all in, you know, but those are the, that's the type of person both of us are like, even in our vows to each other, we vowed to ourselves. Like our vow was a commitment to being our fullest expression and our fullest authentic version of ourselves and being committed to the work that it takes to be that. And in that we'll be committed to the relationship because the other person supports that and supports that expansion of the self. Wow. That is amazing. And so inspiring. And it reminds me it's, you know, my mom, I came home 
recently and she's like who are you dating and i told her i'm like he's nothing like the other t- types and she's like great does <laughs> <laughs> she think that's a good thing or she does or she's like the other ones aren't working i'm like all right yeah, fair good. enough i know and they're they all kind of look alike which is creepy so this one's from a different <laughs> island <laughs> but um as far as you know some steps for so first letting go of idea of perfect but another step you talked to me about earlier was responsible communication and i find this Super interesting because, as you said earlier, it's easy when you know other people's weaknesses to manipulate the communication because you know where they're weak and 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 go into blame or making people wrong and not having to look at yourself. So, totally. what does it mean? What is responsible communication for everybody listening? Yeah. So, truthfully, it's listening first. And I don't know about you, but I was really great at while somebody was talking, like having my response ready to go in my brain and being like, Ooh, I'm going to say this. And then I'll say that and not actually listening to what the person in front of me is saying. And it took me a while to develop listening and to develop the skill of actually sitting with and letting it sink in and then asking myself, do I understand? And then posing it back to the person and say, you know, so, so I just want to be clear when I'm understanding you're saying, is this, is that correct? Is there anything else I'm missing? I'm actually curious about this one little bit and I'm feeling like there's a little blank space between this idea and that idea. Could you connect that for me? And leaning into the conversation, asking more questions, making sure I'm clear on where the other person is feeling or what needs are not being met or all of those things. That is responsible communication in the fact of taking responsibility first for what is being said. And then once you've got clarity on your listening, coming back not with a you know rebuttal of saying like oh well here's why i did that because you're doing x y z but going okay what is my commitment here what's my intention here in this moment in this relationship and if you know usually the question should should answer something like oh well my commitment is to be in a loving partnership and to expand myself and each other together and to play team so if that is truthfully the answer, then my follow-up to whatever my partner is saying should be, how can I meet that for you? Is there a way that I can shift what I'm doing or shift my behavior? Because I can't see myself. You know, As much as I'd love to say I, I am totally aware of all of my patterns and all my stuff, like I can't see myself. That's why we hire coaches. That's why athletes, the best athletes in the world, have coaches so they can get feedback that's objective because we can't see ourselves, right? So my partner has a better view of me than I do. It doesn't mean it's always correct or true or law or absolute, but it's their perspective and it's their experience of me. And if I'm committed to the partnership expanding, I'm also then committed to making this experience of us together uh, more effective for both of us. So Mm -hmm. my follow-up should be great. How can I make this more effective for you? I have some ideas, but I'd love to hear any ideas or requests that you have. Hmm. And and that's instantly a game changer from the way that 90% of people speak in argument is you're doing this, pointing the finger, then the other person, the minute the finger's pointed at them, their hands go up and in defense and they say, well, I'm only doing that because you're doing, then their hand goes out. And it's literally a ping pong match of blame and defense, blame and defense. Sounds like a defense. great time. Yeah, a really good time if you want like three days of not sleeping and tears and arguments and all the things. Well, you know, one thing that I'm fascinated by um, is when you said you were working, the two of you at Gottman Institute, I know that he has the four horsemen 
Yes. Um, and I would love if you could talk a little bit about that because I think that relates a bit to communication. Yeah. It does. It does. Like really, they kind of separate the four horsemen and communication, but the way that, that he really takes it is these are the things that are cataclysmic to a relationship. Like when they've studied all these couples and all of the people who stay together and all of the people who divorced, he legit found that it is the same things across the board that come up for mm. couples. And the four horsemen are criticism. And, and this is a really big one because a lot of people feel like they're not criticizing. They're like, oh no, I'm just saying what's bothering me. But it comes out as a criticism where it's like something is genuinely wrong with you as a person versus a complaint. Like, hey, it really frustrates me when socks are on the floor because I like a clean environment and I work from home. And it's really hard for me to focus if there's stuff all over the place versus you're messy and you're a slob. Okay, so ahead. criticism is is making it like the person's wrong. There's something fundamentally wrong with a the person. They're messy. They're a slob. They're unfair. They're a know-it-all. They're uh, an asshole. You know, just making the person wrong versus talking about the situation, which is a complaint. Um, contempt, which is the second horseman, is this kind of like the way I like to phrase it is like, I'm better than you and I look down on you and I can't believe that you don't see it the way I see it, which is obviously the right way. (laughs) And contempt happens quite a bit. Like in their studies at the Gottman Institute, they really kind of figured out that long-term relationships that lack passion are, are deep in contempt deep in contempt where one person thinks they're superior to the other and the other person can never match up to the level that they think they're supposed to be on. So passion is completely dissolved because you can't feel sexy, A, when somebody's looking down at you and B, you don't feel sexy when somebody's constantly trying to like impress you and do all these things. You're like, ah, that's not attractive. Stop being so like needy and desperate, right? So contempt Mm. is huge when people lack passion. Mm, I totally Um, see that. And it's disrespect. It's like a lack of respect for the other. Interesting. Hey, U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Career Clarity Lab, the online course to help you find your career purpose in the workforce and upgrade your confidence. So if you're ready to unlock the best career path for you and you'd like to try a free version of our Clarity course, just head on over to U-TurnPodcast.com slash Clarity. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash Clarity. Now let's get back to this week's episode. And then there's defensiveness, which is pretty clear. It's like everything, like total egos running the show, like making everything about you, just being defensive, not being able to listen to what anyone's saying. Um, and then stonewalling, and this is more prevalent in men and in their studies, stonewalling is literally just like full-on shutdown. Like you're talking to somebody and they're staring straight ahead like, earmuffs are on they can't hear you they're not even acknowledging that you're there Mm. and stone stonewalling is truthfully just it's a coping mechanism it's a way that people when they either get too fired up or they don't know how to control their emotions Gottman causes causes flooding like when like all your defense mechanisms are coming up fight flight freeze appease coming up big time instead of going there and creating chaos 
somebody attempts to control the situation by completely ignoring it, which is stonewalling. So those are the four that that truthfully are like the death sentence to a relationship. Now, in saying that, something I love about Gottman says, if you if you've got the four horsemen or even one of them, it doesn't mean the relationship's dead. It just means that you guys really need to get intentional and get to work mm-hmm. on on working around these horsemen and creating a new possibility for that. Mm, that's so fascinating. And I mean, I was, I was kind of thinking, you know, if there's contempt, like I have a few girlfriends, you know, we have a few girlfriends where they were in a relationship and they, I think there's also a dynamic where there's a lot of powerful women in our group and, yeah. you know, they, I've noticed where there's a couple of relationships where they, are stronger, they feel stronger than their partner because they're making the money or they're facing yeah. the world or they're the influencer. And as a result, they stop respecting their partner and seeing them yeah. as powerful or sexy. And yeah. so I'm really curious, like, what are your thoughts on how to be a powerful woman? Uh, and and what are, are they doomed if you're the money making, <laughs> hustling woman, and your partner isn't as strong as you in their career or in their identity? Yeah, that's such a great question. Honestly, it's like, that's been such a deep part of my own journey is figuring out the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I am, I'm total type A, I'm totally used to being in control, totally used to running the show. Um, and, and in relationship with another type A, I mean, you know, Preston, he's very type A. <laughs> he's like used to running the show, used to being the star, all the things. Um, that was our biggest uh, issue in the beginning of our relationship was like the power struggle, like the dynamic of neither of us are backing down on, on who we are, but how do we relate to each other and respect one another without making the other person wrong, uh, for who they are and, and who we deem them not to be. And honestly, for me, it's been this beautiful recognition that, because again, we work totally different. You know, I work very systematically and I architect um, into systems and building and I'm on time and I'm organized and he's very creative and all over the place and blah, blah, blah. And I made him wrong for that for so many months into even like the first year of our relationship, like, cause we were in business together and I was sitting here going, shit, I feel like I'm doing all the work and you're just over here visioning and blah, blah, blah. But truthfully, I wasn't acknowledging all the work he was doing and all the magic that he was bringing to the table and and how much of the way he worked was actually things that I could actually really take on and find extremely useful and effective for my way of working with or without our business together. And I think that's truthfully what it is. If you're in disrespect of your partner or contempt or if you're looking down on them, it, you're actually just changing your focus because when we're in a new relationship, we're totally focused on all the things that work for us. We're like, this person's amazing. Like every rat red flag could be up and we're just like ignoring the red flag. Like wearing rose colored glasses. Can't even see the red. (laughs) Exactly. You're like, I don't even know. Is that what that was? A red flag? Oh my God. I thought that was just someone waving something at me. So weird. Uh, (laughs) And we just completely ignore all the things that are blaringly obvious, but our reticular activating system wants to make this person the person and wants to make it work. So we focus on the things that do work about this person. Now, three months, four months, six months in, a year in, our focus tends to shift a bit, especially if we've moved in with our partner or we've inevitably spent more time with them. 
we now know more about them. And when you know more, your focus expands because you're like, oh, interesting. I, I didn't see that before. I didn't know that that's how you are around, you know, cleaning or whatever. And truthfully, in long-term partnership to make it work, you've got to be willing to intentionally adjust your focus because it is so easy like beyond easy to find and focus on all the things that aren't working, to find all the ways that your partner's annoying, to find all the ways that they're not showing up, that they're not powerful, that they're not earning, that they're not doing. However, it's just as easy to find what is working. However, it takes more intentionality. So that's been my greatest thing is like when I find myself picking my partner apart, I instantly go, hold on, find at least 10 more ways that he is showing up, find at least 10 more ways that he is being phenomenal in this particular domain that I want to tear him apart in right now Mm. and acknowledge that first before I go into picking apart how he's not. Let me talk about how he is. And and honestly, that's been a, a game changer in communicating is, you know, P and I have both worked to the point where we've recognized that in order to, to really hear your partner, A lot of times we need to be acknowledged first for all the things that we're doing that we feel aren't getting acknowledged. And, and so if you come to, let's say you and I are in a a relationship and I want to bring some feedback to you, it'd be really powerful for me to go, Hey, Ash, you know, in our friendship, I see how much effort you make. I see you reaching out. I see how you're always inviting me to things and it's so amazing. And I love that. And I just really want to appreciate you and acknowledge you for that. There's a, there's a part where I feel that there's something missing for me. I want to work on that with you. I'd really love to like get behind that and underneath that. Could we talk about that? And now all of a sudden you're instantly wanting to play a team with me because I've acknowledged and appreciated you for how you have versus coming to you and being like, Hey Ash, um, it's really fucked up how you don't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the way you did that, I was like, so in, you know, like, I was just like, I almost (laughs) believe that we did have this issue just right now. Yeah. You're like, Oh, what are we going to talk about? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Okay. I'm in. Let's do this. (laughs) Oh my God. I forget like all of your past careers where you have like all this experience in the entertainment space. I'm like such an actress, like what you just did. (laughs) I actually think I'm a terrible actress. So thank you. I will receive that. I would be the worst too. I can't believe I was almost a spy for a career. Like I would have just outed everyone on my face, like such a horrible liar. Um, <laughs> I, I love that. That's your past story. That makes me so happy. Such a random. Um, okay. Well, so I'm also curious when it comes to responsible communication, um, you kind of picked up on something, which I think reminds me of Myers-Briggs. So I know mm-hmm. the last letter of Myers-Briggs, J or P. I know the J's are very able to lead with organization, showing up on time, and the P's, depending on how much of a P, they are the ones that go with the flow, are late, whatever. Is that Mm -hmm. an incompatibility? Because you'd mentioned that with Preston, or how do you navigate that? I mean, where is the middle ground and how do you communicate? Because I think there's a lot of friendships as well, where you have that friend that's always late. Yeah, no, that's such a big thing. And, you know, it's interesting because I love personality typing and like testing and and human design. I love that stuff. And like, I have a love hate relationship with it because it's also, it it very much puts us in a box and says that we're this particular type of person. When I believe that we have possibility to really move and evolve and change. And so I think we have to be careful when we, when we type cast ourselves with these 
tests, which are phenomenal and give us a lot of insight into our lives. And it does, it's not like a life sentence, you yeah. know? So that's like my caveat on that. Now, um, again, coming into this, I do feel like there are people who have a certain way of doing things and other people have a certain way of doing things. And that's quote unquote their way. And they, every, everyone, we all think our way is the right way. We all think our way is the best way based on results because we keep doing it. Right. (laughs) Like we think our way is like, Oh yeah, that's just what everyone does or should do. Cause it's like, obviously that's what I do. So it works now. In saying that, when you come into partnership, there's what Preston and I like to call unconscious agreements. And these are all the ways in which we view society, life, relationship, you name it. And there are unconscious rules about how it should be, how it should go, how women should act, how men should act in this particular scenario. Like it's so specific and there's so many like subdomains under relationships and the opposite sex and laundry and housework. Like there are just so many unconscious agreements that most of us have no idea about. Mm. And when we get into relationship, every disagreement is literally two unconscious agreements fighting to be right. Mm. So Preston and I, like when we're in disagreement, obviously, you know, sometimes we're totally not nailing this and getting this perfect. And we need to go a bit into the ego and a bit into the victimhood and all that stuff before we come back to our senses and go, oh yeah, hold on. This is two unconscious agreements. So let's figure out what those are. Okay. Well, my unconscious agreement says that you should fill in the blank. Ah, interesting. Mine says that you should fill in the blank. Okay, great. Let's create a conscious agreement together as a couple that feels good for both of us Mm. that we can now put on our agreements list. And as partners and even like friends, you are literally creating agreements together consciously if you are in a conscious, intentional partnership. Now, most people are kind of doing this haphazardly and not actually creating these conscious agreements and then checking in on it. Like, so Preston and I will create a new conscious agreement after an argument and go, well, let's check in in like a couple of weeks and see how we feel on it. And we'll try it out. We'll try it on. We'll say, you know what? Actually, that, that felt really weird for me. And I'm actually not aligned with that at all. I, I tried it on, but would you be willing to shift this particular aspect of it? And you're literally co-creating a new paradigm of what relationship means to be with this particular person. And this is why I go back to that whole incompatibility thing, because truthfully, we're all incompatible. Like we're, we're all completely doing our own thing, mm-hmm. thinking it's the right thing. And then we get into partnership with someone and go, oh, well, my thing doesn't match with your thing. That means we're not going to work. And the truth is, well, do you want it to work? Because you can. You can make it work, but you've got to be willing to play team and co-create what relationship means together. And mm. and it's going to change with every relationship. It's literally a new paradigm. You're creating a new map, a new territory for what relationship means with this particular person, doing it together at this particular time with wherever you're at on your own personal journey. Like this is so unique. And it's all a matter of how much you're willing to play team versus how much you're like, fuck this, I'm out. Like, this is too much work. Mm, I love this. It's so fascinating. And um, I know you talked about the third step after communication being doing the inner work, knowing your patterns before that person showed up. Yeah. And obviously, it's so hard to read the label when you're inside (laughs) the jar. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So how do people who are listening right now 
who maybe haven't fully woken up to their patterns, how do they start to kind of realize who was I before I showed up in this relationship? What things am I bringing with me that I might not be totally aware of? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I reassure anybody who like hasn't done the work. Like I have a friend who just got into a relationship and she's like, oh my God, I feel like there's so much work I need to do first. And I'm like, trust me, the work will show itself. <laughs> like if you're in partnership, the work will reveal itself and, and you will have plenty of opportunity to, to look at, okay, here's something that came up. Literally every time something comes up, Preston and I go, okay, how did, how did we bring this exact thing or something very similar to it? How did we bring this in? How did this show up in my last relationship? Like, how is this a pattern for me that I keep playing out? Because the truth is the lesson will keep showing up, keep showing up, keep showing up until it's actually taken on and embodied and shifted. So really every opportunity you have is every fight you get into, every disagreement, every frustration you have, every time you want to judge your partner, pick them apart. Literally, the inner work then goes, okay, instead of making this about them, I'm going to go inside first. I'm going to track this back to maybe the, the relationships I've had for the last 10 years, to maybe my mom or my dad, or to that one time when I was embarrassed by my crush in you know sixth grade and I vowed to never be vulnerable again. If we can trace the patterning back, we can recognize, ah, this person didn't bring this in. It's not because of this person. This person just happened to activate something that was lying dormant in me for a long time. Hmm. And truthfully, that that is the gift of relationship, whether it's, again, romantic or non-romantic. Relationship is not just comforting and beautiful and fun and expansive to be with somebody, but it's revealing and, and it will show you the darkest parts of yourself. It will show you your deepest insecurities. It will reveal your shame. It will highlight the areas that you've been ignoring for too long. And this is unfortunately why divorce and separation is so prevalent in our world today because so many people are unwilling to be with that part of relationship. They just want the the highlight reel and the good stuff and the comfort and the love and the highs and the love letters and the Valentine's days and all that. But what they don't get is true love encompasses all of it. And it, it requires all of it to actually truly love and be in love. One must be willing to love themselves enough to heal themselves that they haven't. And you know what this makes me think of is people getting back together because sometimes mm-hmm. we heal things that weren't working and they're circumstantial. Do you have any feedback for anybody listening that maybe has somebody from their past that uh, maybe they were in a situation where they both weren't in a consciousness to be able to endure the relationship um, mm. and maybe something has shifted or they've shifted. How do you kind of do that gauge of circling back to something? Yeah, it's great question. I I think it requires a conversation and and that conversation can literally be one-sided from you where it's just taking ownership of all the ways in which you blamed, in which you projected, in which you didn't take responsibility, in which you didn't do the inner work. And if you can come to that person and just say, hey, like, I would just really love to clear this with you and, and say that I've done a lot of soul searching around this and recognize I was really in my shit and really in my ego and I wanted to be right and I wanted it to be perfect. And I also like wasn't willing to bend and I wasn't willing to truly give my heart and show up and be vulnerable and 
And I recognize that now. And I don't know what that means for us. It may not mean anything, but I just want you to know that I see that. And mm-hmm. I, and I, I'm really sorry that I wasn't able to, to give that to you at that time. I just wasn't ready for it. So good. Okay. Yeah. And it may open something up and it may not, but at the very least you can get that closure and know that, that you've shown up in integrity and, and given somebody that peace of mind, because you know what, sometimes a lot of people are suffering. They won't let on that they're suffering, but they're suffering because of how something ended or how a past relationship was. And really uh, just with our ownership, we can end a lot of people's suffering. Mm, I love that. And I'm also curious, like, what is that fine line for a couple of living in the past and clearing the air? You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. what is that? <laughs> Yeah, because so many people, like we were talking about this before, so many people process and process yeah. and process and process. And then the relationship becomes a series of processing and a series of drudging up the past and a series of just going in and going into the work. And and, and while that's great and, and I celebrate that because a lot of people could probably do that more often than they currently are. I think there's people who are addicted to processing and addicted to suffering and addicted to looking for something. And the truth is, is if you're looking for it, you'll find it. You know, like uh, I was having a conversation with a friend today who's kind of new to LA and she's like, you know, I want to do some work and I want to jump in. And she's done a lot of stuff already. And I'm like, well, the truth is, is like, what answers do you want to find? Because you could do a thousand different processes and trainings and but what kind of answers do you want? Because, you know, if you want to find mom and dad stuff, you can do this type of training. If you want to find your sexuality, do this type of training. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what what are you looking for? And I think, and this leads me really to, to the fifth step, which we can come back to the fourth, but the fifth step is play. You know, I think a lot of couples get into the work so much and they'll get into maybe therapy or even have like relationship coaches that are, constantly having them work on the things and not having them really like go back to fun and joy and play and dating and sex and connection and, you know, affection and all the things that really solidify intimate love relationships. Because, mm-hmm. you know, again, the the sex and all that is usually great in the beginning and then it dies off because, we get to know each other more. And because we've gone from insecurity of, I don't know how this is going to turn out. Like, I don't know how this person really feels about me. Are they going to call me? Are they going to not? That's exciting. And, and the body loves that excitement, but the brain can't handle it. The brain is like, I need security. Yeah. So what happens is <laughs> I'm it, like, I can't handle that. What you're talking yeah, about. Legit. And a lot of people can, especially women, like women, like we're, we're kind of built to look for security. Right. But the excitement, the insecurity is what like drives us sexually. It feels exciting and, and we lean in and we want more. And it, it, there's just that spaciousness feels really exciting because we don't know. So then our brain goes, well, fuck this. Like we need security. So let's go at everything we can to make this as secure as possible. So we create pet names. We create like date nights. So it's like, oh yeah, Thursday night is when I hang out with so-and-so. We literally create all these little ways that we can feel more secure And eventually that turns into moving in together or getting married or saying we're committed to each other, whatever it might be. And then that security feels really good for a little bit. And then it's that same security that literally kills off the passion and, and passion, you know, for Preston and I, we've recognized that play and passion are so closely related. Mm. And, and when I say play, I don't just mean together. I mean, play separately, like have your friends, have your village, 
have your people that you go to have your life. Like don't stop doing the things you love to do before you met this person, like do them more, find new things that excite you because that's bringing new energy back into the relationship. It's bringing a new sense of curiosity and fun and aliveness and, Oh wow. I thought I knew this person, but this is really interesting. I didn't know this about you. I didn't know that you think this way or that you loved African dance or whatever it might be. And that keeps the excitement really generating and circulating in the relationship. So that's huge. Mm -hmm. Love that. And I also, I love the phrase you used in number four. So those, everybody who's following number one was letting go of perfect. Number two was responsible communication. Number three was doing the inner work. And then number four, before we skip to five, which was play was emotional bank accounts, deposits and withdrawals. I think this is so cool because it feels like a visual. So yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, curious. And it so is. I'm such a visual person. <laughs> yeah, me and you both, sister. I'm like, okay, how do people check in in their relationships, even in their friendships? I feel like yeah. emotional bank accounts. What does that mean to you? How do people start to use that concept in their life? Yeah, so for me, it's a it's a clear conversation. So, and I, this actually started with a dear friend of mine, um, who we had very different ways of depositing and withdrawing in friendship. And I felt for a really long time with this particular friend that like she was mad at me or like there was like some resentment or there was conversation maybe happening with other friends in our circle. And I just, I said, Hey, like, can we talk about the nine gazillion pound gorilla in the room? Like, I feel like something's off. And she said, yeah, something is off. Like, I feel like you're just not making an effort. And I feel like, you know, I'm reaching out and I'm texting you and you don't text back and you never call me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I wish we would have had this conversation sooner because that's not the way I express. That's not the way I deposit, you know, and you could call this love languages, but it's really so much more specific and deeper than that. It's, it's really about finding out what specific activities, what specific ways of speaking, what specific ways of relating to this person is considered a deposit where it makes them feel more alive. It makes them feel more connected to you. It makes their cup feel full. Hmm. And then what specific ways are deposit or withdraws where it's like, oh, you did that thing and like shut down. Oh, you did that thing separate from you. Oh, you did that thing. I'm literally going to like turn the volume down on my love because I'm withholding. And, and it's so specific. And so, you know, with my friend, this particular person, we wrote a list of ways of being and how we were together that were deposits for ourselves and withdrawals. And so then I had my list and I knew exactly how this person needed to be loved. And I knew exactly what activities were like cha-ching, 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 making her account go all the way up. And I knew which ones were like immediate withdrawals. And I did the same with Preston. And and it is so amazing to know specifically what what your partner needs to feel full and abundant and overflowing. Mm -hmm. And that way it's, it's literally, it's about meeting their needs, the specific way that they need them to be met. So good. And I feel like there's boundaries, right? Like maybe Uh the way both of your bank accounts work, it's not worth it for you. Like, Oh, this person needs these things and I'm not willing to do them, which is kind of what you talked about where it's not about compatibility. It's what you're willing to do and not do. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that also goes back to, again, like there's a lot of gray area with all of this, but with deposits and withdrawals and with any type of like conscious agreements, you've also got to ask yourself, and this comes back to responsible communication, responsible relating. You've got to ask yourself, like, am I requesting this out of a wound? 
am I requesting this out of a deep insecurity? Am I requesting this out of an unwillingness to do the work on this myself and expecting my partner to do this work for me? And, and that is a big thing that I think a lot of people miss in doing relationship work is we, we say, oh, well, I need you to, um, you know, give me words of affirmation all the time or else I don't feel loved. And it's like, okay, but in what ways are you not affirming yourself? In what ways are you not uh, t- having conversations with yourself and saying, you've got this, you're doing a great job? In what ways are you not celebrating where you're at and you're expecting the world to do it for you? And I think that, again, comes back to that responsibility portion where we've really got to look at ourselves first and go, you know what? That's actually my job. Let, let me start on that. I would love if you could like chime in every now and again and support me on that journey, but that's actually my job. Let me do that. Mm. So good. Alexi, you're everything. And I feel like (laughs) such a treat for everybody listening because I think a lot of people do have this belief that there's compatibility or not. And I think one of the things that I find when you come into a room is that there's air, like you just have good energy, good vibes, air around you. And I think that this concept that you can create whatever you want and it's really just comes down to what you're willing to do and what you're willing not to do. And I actually did an episode with Kylie Macbeth, um, I mean, weeks ago on when you're losing yourself in a relationship. Mm. Oh, nice. I got to listen to that. Yeah, it's so good. It is such a good episode. I think I cried in the post-show conversation because I was like, I think I've lost myself. I don't even remember, but um, (laughs) where can everybody find you? Because I know you have Soul School, your monthly membership, and so many opportunities for people to learn from you in so many ways, not just in love, but in business and in life. Yeah, you can find everything on alexipanos.com. And um, if you're like social media, like I am, Instagram is my jam. So find me on Instagram at alexipanos. Um, Always posting content there, doing video shares pretty much every day and sharing a little bit of my life with my my man and my little man, Kingston, my son on Insta stories. So check all that out. Oh my gosh. And another one on the way, pregnant as fuck. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So there's there's so many things and it's like like I said I feel like Preston and I just went from zero to adulting really quickly. And we're also talking about getting a dog, which I feel like is the extra adulting. It's like adulting on top. Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh my gosh, so fun. And you guys got your new house. It's just going. Exactly. That's yeah, amazing. You, you can't stop us. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe if you get a dog it just means another housewarming where you guys both feed me and have to deal with all of my vibes in there. <laughs> yeah. So down, so down for well, that. Well, <laughs> thank you for being here with me. I love you. I so love you. I, I appreciate too. you. Yes, and thank you. Thank you for like having this amazing conversation. I want to acknowledge you for your listening. Your listening is phenomenal. Oh, thank you. I am going to receive that. <laughs> <laughs> Hey there, it's Ash here, and I am just unpacking this episode with Alexi Panos, who is obviously so amazing. I'm sure you got so many takeaways, as I did from that episode. Her relationship with Preston Smiles is really beautiful, That I, and I've watched it many times, just being out with them, being together with them, and I think that they've really gone deep in working on themselves and having the resources to support other couples in the joy that they can have, and one of the things that really sat with me that Alexi talked about was about compatibility and how she doesn't necessarily believe in compatibility. She believes that there's just simply awareness of what we're willing to do and what we're not willing to do. And I love that perspective because a lot of the times we think about compatibility like this fixed thing, like either it's a match or it's not, when really it's 
who's willing to do what. And that's what relationships come down to is what are you willing to do for the other person? What are you willing to do for the relationship? And being clear on who you are and where you're not willing to give more, I think is really key. So found that really profound. But one thought that I've been having a lot lately that I'm really excited to share with you on the podcast today is about the concept of moving forward. So I have a lot of friends who are married, some who are really happy about it, others who are not. And um, what I'm finding is that we live in a world where society sees a certain set of action plans and action steps as what it looks like to be moving forward. So society looks at certain things and says, okay, this is what it looks like when this person is moving forward. And what I'm learning is that, you know, ultimately we are having a lot of misperceptions about what it means to move forward. Because for example, let's take the friend who's unhappily married and let's take the other person who's single. The unhappily married person looks like they're moving forward in society. They're married, maybe they're pregnant and having a kid, they're in forward motion in their relationship. But what if they're not happy and they're not with the right person for them or they're not willing to do what it takes to be in that relationship because it's asking too much of them to sacrifice themselves, they're actually moving backwards by getting married, getting pregnant and doing all these things because ultimately who you are always wins. What you want in the world, what's true for you, it's always going to come out. It's just a matter of is it going to come out this year or is it going to come out next year? But what you want and who you are is always going to come out because who you are always does win. It's just inevitable. And what I'm finding is that a lot of people will suppress that voice inside of them that tells them something's not right for them. And then they'll end up in a relationship or a situation that doesn't feel like a match for them. And the truth will come out. And it's a matter of, do you want to rip the band-aid off on the truth and feel it all this year? Or do you want to rip and cry right now? Or do you want to rip the band-aid off on the truth and feel it all next year and cry right then? Ultimately, who you are and what you want and what's true in your heart is always going to come out. So it's just a matter of how long you want to prolong the anxiety and the pain of denying it. And so what I've found is that my friends who aren't happily married, they look like they're moving forward on so many levels. Some of them are even saying we're going to have a baby, even though privately they're telling me they're really unhappy and they don't want to, you know, they, they feel like they're giving up too much of themselves to be with that person. And if that's the case, eventually they're going to have to listen to themselves. That might take a year or two of their time. Then they're going to have to ask for the divorce and process the paperwork, uh, which is going to take another year of their time and argument. And then they're going to have to deal with the baby and custody and restarting their life and healing, which maybe is another year of their time. Maybe not. Maybe it would be shorter. But the point being that it looks like they're moving forward when in reality, the single person who's available for the right person, who's out there dating, who hasn't found love yet, um, you know, they're moving forward because they're actually sifting through real partners. And the more real they are with themselves about what they're looking for, and they're more honest they are with themselves about what's a yes and a no for them, the more truthful they are when they in, they're in the face of somebody good, but what they really want is somebody great for them, the closer they are to what really looks like forward motion. You know, I think I think about this at least once a week because in some areas of my life, I'm not where I want to be. And I know that if you're listening, there's probably some areas of your life that you're not where you want to be. And it can be very tempting to look at some people, even if they're unhappy, and think to themselves, they're moving forward. Why aren't I? But really, it's like if they're not moving in the right direction for them truly, they're going to have to take some steps back to then move forward again. And so I would say honor yourself. Honor where you are 
listen to that voice inside of you that already knows the truth. If you're in a marriage right now that isn't a fit for you, if you are trying to move forward because it looks like what society would say is moving forward when really you're avoiding the truth and you're going to probably have to eventually listen to it, that could be in your career. You know, I know a lot of people in the Career Clarity Lab course that I host, and there's a free version of that at uturnpodcast.com slash clarity. So Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash clarity. So I know a lot of people in that course who they thought they were moving forward in their career, but really it wasn't the right career path for them. And the truth was always going to win. Eventually, they're going to have to face the music and realize they need to take some step back and figure out who they are, whether they hired me for privately coaching them or join my course um, or just quit their job and took some time off whatever it was they did to get closer to what's true, I think it's so tempting to move forward in society or do what society looks like moving forward when in actuality, you're feeling totally disconnected inside and you're going to have to eventually listen to that. So, and, and in those cases, when there's that career woman who's, you know, at the top of the chain, but really doesn't like what she's doing. And then there's the other person who, you know, quit their job and is sitting in their house figuring out what they want to do or hiring a coach like me, it's like they're actually moving forward because they're in the truth of what is. And so what I want to leave you with is this. What do you know that you wish you didn't know that is true? And then my invitation for you is to see things as they are, not what you want them to be, not what's worse than what they are. You don't need to see them as worse than they are, but as what they are and take action on that take action on that so you can actually be moving forward in your life. So with that said, some truth bombs. I hope you share this episode with a friend who really needed it. I think that this love episode was really helpful or even just this post episode conversation. Maybe there's somebody in your life who needs this. It means the world to me that you're writing reviews on U-Turn podcast on iTunes. The written reviews just light me up. They keep me going. They really inspire me and It also just excites me to know that you're sharing this with people who really need it because U-Turn Podcast isn't something that I'm getting sponsors for. I'm not monetizing it. Sure, I share my private coaching. I share my courses um, and what I'm up to. But ultimately, this has just been a passion project and not a business project. So thank you so much for sharing and spreading the word. I love you. I thank you. And most of all, I thank you for doing the work on yourself, for being somebody that lights up the world by having a clear windshield and by being the best you that you can be. So forgive yourself for buying into any beliefs that you're not moving forward if you're feeling really stuck right now. Um, Because if you're listening to the truth of where you are, that's forward motion. The truth is forward. Sending you lots of love. Thanks for listening. This is Ashley Stahl signing off. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has it on the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. 
On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.